0: So, so, did you hear about this airliner that had to do uh, an unscheduled landing in Boston? Let's see if I've got the which did, one. Did you read this story? It just happened pretty recently. Where is it here? Uh, this is for
1: the the odor in the yeah. So they 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 I started didn't see to, it on
0: the onion though.
1: They, yeah, they didn't smell. I thought it was I thought it was a cargo flight. Uh, no, no,
2: no,
0: because the see. because the cabin crew, the uh, the flight attendants, actually donned oh, okay. uh, their uh, oxygen masks because everybody was afraid that they were in the process of being poisoned, and uh, and they made an emergency landing at uh, I think it was yeah they were going from Milan, Milan I guess in, in Italy. Uh, to, oh, it was a cargo
1: flight to Miami. It was a cargo flight. Uh, yeah it is uh, was it the four, oh,
0: the four crew members okay, donned oxygen yeah. masks as the cockpit filled with a noxious odor and radioed ahead that they were concerned the fumes might be toxic or flammable after we a safe...
1: get to name another episode, Jeb was right, yeah, okay,
0: yep. <laughs> no, we've done that not one. quite not quite. We yeah. got that one in ahead of time <laughs> so they they landed and discovered that it was a load full it was four pallets filled with five tons of minced onions. You in... know what worries me now, yeah, what
2: is that we could see a shortage of minced onions and I'm white say castles it. all across
1: America. Oh my. The price of minced onions is going up.
0: You think, <laughs> huh? Have you ever had uh, anything in the cockpit or in the luggage area that uh, that became, you know, dis-whatever? Dis you know, Did anything smell bad in your airplanes ever?
2: I took a oh. long flight after a Mexican dinner once. and what was that like dave tell us come on why not yes yes. i I took the oxygen cannula off and put the mask on (sighs) (laughs) thankfully it was a no
0: smoking flight
1: we're gonna have to start all over again
0: no 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 no. we're not starting over again we're we're barreling on through here barreling on through moving right along
1: H I G So that.
0: no, you've never had a funny odor. Oh, see, there's just nowhere. There's no way to introduce this co- this subject. You know, I'm trying to trying to trying to spark a genuine conversation. You mean, I, you I mean things s-
3: like? Have, you can, you can title it "Higdon Takes the Shoes Off Again." <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> and you've never flown with me. Uh, smell I flown well in the cockpit once. Uh, the smell of uh, brush fires on the ground in the cockpit that kind of weirded me out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, because it was strong enough up there that there was a minute or two, of, I, I kind of debated whether it was me or, you know, that 800 acres of Oklahoma down below.
1: Yeah. yeah. There, there used to be a paper mill near Savannah, and if you go over Savannah, headed north or south or something like that, on a, at a low altitude on a hot summer day, um, you, you will wish you had, had you know, Ooh, pressure yeah. up there. Or something. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if it's still there. I, I go over Savannah with some regularity, um, but um, it at um, an altitude where I don't smell it, apparently, or or that, or it's um, been closed for economic or environmental reasons or something. But, uh, um, you know, the, Dodge, the, Dodge odd, City. the odd brush fire, you know, things like that. But
2: Dodge City, Kansas. Uh, I don't remember the exact alignment, but it's generally a north south runway. That predominates out here mostly, and uh, there's a there's a there lot of be a, yeah. a cattle feed pin feed lot yeah I was about kind of right about about three quarters of a mile off the end of the runway, and that puts you at prime altitude for the aromatics
1: on approach uh-huh. can you imagine <laughs> what what would be the first word a pilot would say after taking off and and the engine failing and him having to put down into that feedlot. The oh, same thing they the always
0: say. <laughs> yeah, okay, don't say it this time. I had to bleep you last week, Dave. Oh, mother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is that it, Jim? <laughs> I was going to do. oh, crap. Is probably what
2: I was no, gonna...
1: I, I was I was just going to leave that one open and let you folks fill in the blanks. <laughs>
2: he was just going to let it kind of hang in the air like a bad smell. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> well, okay. Well, there there are many be- better many better lead-ins than but that, up. so I'm just going to roll on here and say, welcome, folks, to episode, episode number 75 of Uncontrolled for Airspace. You I know. The General <laughs> Aviation Podcast. We're recording this. Oh, see, now, this is this explains it all. We're recording this episode on Tuesday evening, April 1st, 2000 uh, uh, It's April Fool's Day. Uh, be afraid. And, uh, be very afraid. I have to tell you. I uh, Now, uh, speaking for myself, I am, am not knowingly inserting any fool... You know, April Fool stories into this episode, so listeners can rest assured that if it comes from me, it's not intentionally an April Fool story. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, how many
1: how many women have you not said that to in your earlier life?
0: <laughs> but but I have to tell you that it was kind of an adventure to be researching stories earlier today for uh, for the episode. I was kind of you know surfing around the net looking at all the aviation sites I go to, and and every story I'd look at, I'd have to kind of read it carefully to say, okay, is this real or is this a joke? And uh our our Pal, I shouldn't say that. Our Pal Zoom over at Aero News have actually done well we'll come back to that in a little while, but
1: uh Yeah, they they uh Avweb used to do an April Fool's edition and yeah.
0: uh, they didn't seem to do anything this time, but uh
1: No, I I think they, they, they haven't
0: in a while. It was a lot yeah. of
2: work.
3: Yeah. I'm, I'm it was sure a lot, it's a lot of work.
1: work, yeah. And and
3: uh Wasn't there quite they, some controversy over one of those as well? yeah, um, one of the yeah, South Flesh on April 1st Special Editions. It was a huge controversy, if memory serves.
1: Which which one was that? Do you remember, Dave?
3: That would be the AvFlesh, uh April Fool's edition. No, 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 I,
1: mean, I, I understand that, but which story? Do you remember?
3: I remember it was
0: an flash April Fool's edition. Yeah. Okay. We got in trouble one I time for... which one.
1: Yeah. Because I wrote a lot of them. I don't remember a huge hue and cry. It might have been after I left. But I know Higdon and I wrote a lot of them. Um, yeah, yeah you, the-
0: you can get in trouble because people don't get it, you know. And especially if the joke is about, you know, a flaw or something, some problem. And, well, and it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you kind of have to avoid that because uh, it's really hard to fly
2: the rudder pedals with both feet in your mouth. Yeah, and uh, but, you know there's a lot of airplanes something that you
1: have nonetheless. That yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> well, let me say hi to the uh, folks that are with me here in the virtual. I can always tell by the taste of tennis shoes. <laughs> with his. Feet firmly planted uh, in the place where they often are, Dave Higdon is with us this <coughs> evening. Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Plains magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. He's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. How you doing? Uh, finer and frog hair. I mean, it's
2: really, really trying to turn into spring here. And uh, a couple of uh, Cooper's Hawks that I get to see just about every day nesting about – 200 yards from the house, and uh, one of them actually seems to cogent that I'm a pilot uh, because he didn't do anything on my head as I walked under this tree today.
1: So He was just blinded by the light.
0: That's what it was. He was looking at the sunset. So, and by the way, why does it why does it not surprise me that Dave Higdon's neighborhood has been designated a wildlife preserve? (laughs) And also with us us this evening in the virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside. Jeb is an aviation journalist currently serving as editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and uh, he's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb.
1: Hey Jack, uh I, I have no fundamental uh um, comment on why the area around Dave's house has been designated a wildlife preserve, but I don't doubt it for a
2: moment. <laughs> it, it it it's uh it's not a uh, an effect, it was a cause. Uh, because well, of that's yeah. why we moved in next door.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, well, you know, which came first, chicken or the egg since we're in, a, in an avian mode uh this evening, but uh, um I don't know. I, I, there's really nothing else I can add. It's 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 something that speaks for itself.
2: <laughs> what are you up to down there? Well, you you've been doing anything? You've flying? got a lot of seagulls
1: down there, right? We have a lot of seagulls. Actually, there was one morning uh, late last summer. I uh, woke up, you know, around around daybreak, and was looking out the front door, and, and um, you know walked out to kind of stretch and um, you know get my fresh air, breath, and whatnot, and, and this huge bird was sitting in the, <clears throat> in the street out in front of my house, and I live on a one-way, one-way street and uh, towards the end of it, actually, and the road kind of narrows. It's really uh, maybe only, you know, really one lane wide, and this bird, I swear, his wingspan, when he lifted off, covered from one side of the road to the other. I don't know what kind of bird it was. Uh, maybe an osprey, maybe, uh, um, maybe just a large pelican or something, but uh, sucker was big uh... We, there's a lot of birds down here uh there's there's hawks and and uh gulls and uh um uh whatever swans you know you, you where was i the other day i was i was at a place I would not normally expect anyway um and um there's people walking around and there's this this uh i don't know if it was a goose or a swan or it wasn't not a duck it had a much much more graceful neck obviously i'm not a an audubon society member. But um, just trucking right through the crowd, just minding, minding its own business, just making a beeline for wherever it was going, and of course everybody got out of its way, and uh, it was it was kind of funny. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. There's, yeah, there's a lot of birds down here, a lot of wildlife generally. Uh, you know, people definitely traps, knew the snakes.
2: pecking order. <laughs> yeah, yes,
1: right. yes, indeed. And also yes, with
0: us also with us this evening in the hangar is uh is sitting here probably wondering what the heck have I gotten myself into here uh is our I don't
1: think you would ever say heck.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Is our good friend Dave Shelbetter. Dave is the uh, chairman of Sun and Fun Radio down there in Lakeland and he he's was our great host last year and is about to be our host again. Hi Dave, how are you doing?
3: Doing great, guys. Doing great. I'm down here in in South Florida. Uh-huh. uh-huh. In southeast coast of Florida, and about the only birds I have an issue with down here right now are referred to by the first call letters snow. <laughs> 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 and I'm sure you get a lot of those in Sarasota too, don't you?
1: Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. We're we're just you know keeping our fingers crossed and, and counting the days uh, until they can bug out, so yeah. to speak. Yeah.
3: So, Dave, my we'll favorite look... bird... go ahead, Dave. Say, my favorite bird story involves getting a phone call from. April one day and she says, honey, you know those big white birds? And she was referring to an ibis. and I said, yeah. And she said, do they eat fish? And I said, yeah, honey, I think it's a staple of their diet. Why do you ask? I got home from work and there was one standing out by the pond and I can't see any of my fish. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. She had bought she had bought like a dozen little feeder goldfish and put in our pond in the front of the house. And she'd go out every day, every morning, and every night that she'd feed them and got little nicknames for them and stuff. And, and, and the bird, she was all excited later that evening when she realized that the fish were smart enough to hide underneath the plants. Oh
2: ah, okay. When the bird
3: showed up. Unfortunately, they didn't survive the second encounter about two weeks later. Oh, well. well the bird
2: had a name for them, too.
3: Or yeah, yeah, too. <laughs> that's right lunch lunch i'm doing great guys i'm uh, yeah. getting excited here got uh, about three more days to wheels up to fun and fun uh-huh now you guys got a lot of stuff going on this year it's going to be a great event
0: great we're looking yeah. forward to being up there again and uh, i know uh, you and i have talked a little bit over the last few weeks i know you're already preparing for uh, this year's event can you tell us a little bit about how those preparations are going
3: Well, the radio station's big news this year is our new location. We have been, for the past uh, 13 years, I believe it is, we were housed in the FAA Aviation Safety Center Production Studios uh, on the green room trailer behind the studio. And I can't thank OB Young and his crew enough for the hospitality. But as things grow and stuff, we we needed more space. They needed their space back. So Fun and Fun has put us into our very own building. We were real happy about it. Um, It's on Clubhouse Row and the the newly named Sunset Cafe. It was Ace's Cafe in the past, but the, the big cafe pavilion in the center of the core area there. And yeah, it's, it's a great location. We're going to have a lot of people. We've got a nice big deck out there to broadcast. Uh, I've made several trips over making modifications. It's about a, a four-hour trip for me to drive over to Lakeland. Um, of course, in today's economy, it's more like a $140 trip. Yeah. The right. gas prices being what they are. um getting the studio ready in fact just last weekend i was there and got the engineering equipment set up uh, we're actually broadcasting from the studio right now if anybody is in the area they can drive by and tune into 15 10 a.m and hear fun and fun radio because we do broadcast year-round what do you so broadcast? right yeah,
1: now? what do you what do you run year-round
3: yeah we're, we're on the air 24 7 year-round um the rest of the year it's it's what 's called a traveler 's information station uh, points of interest um, on local areas, mainly of course, we talk about sun and fun, the education programs, the activities at the museum, um, the different things going on, the aviation lecture series and stuff you know so, so many people see the sun and fun grounds and don 't realize that although it 's not the center of activity that it is for one week in April, there's stuff going on there year-round. I mean, all kinds of different activities go on, and so Sun and Sun Radio tries to keep up to let people know what's going on, and uh, announcements on things coming, and of course announcements leading up to Sun and Sun. Yeah. And... Working away, you know, just plugging away. At it. I'll be heading over I'll be actually on the ground Friday night for the duration. So how, anybody wants to come see me, like they're welcome to come by.
0: Yeah, how long how many people does it take to run the, the radio station? How many volunteers do you have?
3: You know, I had I got the same question from Ben Sclare's folks for the for the daily and I'm I'm trying to remember the numbers. At last count, I think it was in the range of thirty to thirty five people on staff this year.
0: hmm That's great. Wow.
3: It's a big of yeah, it's it's got it's just grown. And that's why we, we had to move out of that little twelve by twelve room, you know, we just didn't fit. Yep. Um engineers, announcers, uh, inner people to go out and conduct interviews in the field and then the behind the scenes stuff, the administrative staff and the editors and you know, my co chairman Terry Fowler works his tail off for months leading up to the fly and just set up all of the interviews and everything that we've already got, uh, lined up. We actually, I talked to him the other day and he said, we've got about half of our interview slots are already full, Oh, which is a lot. Yeah,
0: um, we should you know, hire him to work for somewhere. us. Uh, get somebody. <laughs> get a little organization in what we do here. I'm sorry, you were going to say something?
3: No, just uh, we're, we're you know we're getting ready. We're, we're excited about it. The new location is going to be fun. I'm, I've got made up some signs to put on the old deck so that you know the old deck is still there. So if you come to Fun and Fun and you walk up to the green room trailer looking for us,
4: all yeah. oh, you're going
3: to see is a little sign saying we moved. Uh, another big news this year is the, the addition of Flightline Radio.
4: Tell us about that. Yeah, fun,
3: fun event. Flyline Radio is a little fixed, credit card size, fixed frequency receiver with a pair of stereo earbud type headsets. You know, the in the ear headsets. They're going to sell them at all six gifts of flight locations on on the ground. Um, they're twelve dollars. There's going to be two channels active. The first channel or one channel will carry. The announcers stand. Everything going out over the PA system. So if you're not close enough to the PA's, you can pick up one of these radios and and hear what Roscoe and his talented crew are saying. And when they're not talking, it's going to carry a combination of the incoming flight com tra- uh, radio traffic, and it's also going to carry pre-recorded announcements. So a lot of the stuff that we're doing pre-recorded for Sun and Fun Radio is going to be given to them to air while the announcers aren't talking. And then there's going to be a second frequency active that will carry Sun and Fun Radio in its entirety. So if you, wow. forget, your, you forget your portable AM radio, you can pop into Gifts in Flight. Right? I'm sorry. You can pop into Gifts of in Flight, and 12 bucks you pick up the Flightline radio. And the really neat thing about it is, this is the same setup they had at Oshkog at AirVenture. And if you bought one up there, bring it with you. It'll work with our Thing with our Flightline Radio set up down here.
2: That's great. And if you buy that, one here, you can take it up here. It'll there. work at
3: OSH. Yeah, it'll work at OSH. And actually, their their website, com has a list of different events that they've had their services at. So if you've been at any of these events and bought the Flightline Radio, it'll work in any other Flightline Radio events, so all universal. Is, uh, is this really something, about that.
1: Dave, is this something that... Um, uh, any uh, radio receiver can pick up? Is it on uh, a common frequency?
3: Well, Sun and Fun Radio is 1510 AM. Sure, sure. Any AM radio will pick up Sun and Fun Radio's general broadcast. The Flightline radios are proprietary frequencies, so no. To get okay. to hear what's being said over the Flightline radio, you have to have their receivers. But uh-huh. for 12 bucks, it's worth it. You know, you can uh-huh. use it anywhere. And, um, but, but our signal, our radio signal is going to be, or our radio content is going to be carried over it. So if you don't have a flight line radio, but you have an AM radio, you can pick up fun and fun radio. Yeah. And of course, fun and fun radio broadcasts the air show every day. So if you're not uh, within range of the PA, you can tune in and, and hear what's going on. Just tune in 15, 10 AM and, and hear what's going on. Yeah.
0: So how long have you been doing this? You you've been. Uh, were you, did you start out as chair, or did you start out as sort of a a, a, a lowly helper and become chair? How, what's the history here?
3: Well, my history was Fun and Fun, um, I've been a fun. So this is actually a landmark for me this year. This is thirty years for me. Whoa! I've been a Fun and Fun volunteer for thirty years, as of the two thousand eight fly-in And back in 1995, they came to me. I was working with Bonnie Higby, who is now working for me, which is kind of funny, but works with me at the radio station. But Bonnie Higby at the media center, I was one of the news hounds, and they came to me and said, we're going to have a radio station. Do you want to help? And of course, with the volunteer spirit, yeah, sure. What can I do to help? They set me down at a desk and they put a microphone in front of me and said, start talking and don't stop.
4: (laughs) I "I can do that.
3: And um, it just it just evolved. I I, the the question of how long have I been chairman? As long as there's been a Sun and Fun Radio chairman position, I've been doing it. Uh, Um, We were for the first two or three years we fell under the Media Center under Bonnie Higby. Bonnie Higby was my chairman, and then eventually they broke Sun and Fun Radio off into its own chairmanship or its own own area of Sun and Fun. And I've been the man since the word go. We started out um, myself and and my mother, own was a volunteer with us. And she would go out and do interviews and I'd stay there and talk. And we'd get people to come by and do interviews live on the air. And we uh, added on. One year we had, there were four of us and then six. And they started telling everybody and they told two friends and so on and so on and so on. And we've just uh, we just grown and turned it into, we pretend for the week. I call it playing radio games because we pretend for the week that it's a real a real radio station. Instead of commercial advertising, though, we talk about fun and fun. And instead of music, we talk to pilots. We do interviews with pilots and and performers and people there, exhibitors there, and, and volunteers. Anybody who's got a neat aviation stories, we like to get on, too. Yeah.
0: Well, that's great. We're looking forward to coming down there for the benefit of our listeners. I want to tell them again that uh, we're going to be recording two episodes of Uncontrolled Airspace while we're in Lakeland. The first one will be on Tuesday, day one of uh, Sun and Fun Fly, in Tuesday afternoon after the daily air show, and then the second one will be Sunday morning, the final day of Sun and Fun, uh, at ten o'clock in the morning. In both cases, we'll be gathering out on the deck of the Sun, the the brand new Sun and Fun Radio building, and uh, it'll be Jeb and Dave uh, Higdon and myself. uh, as well as uh, a number of other friends that we're going to be rounding up and gathering to join us. And hopefully uh, any of our listeners who are in the area will come on by and uh, can uh, can stretch out on the grass, bring your coffee, uh, bring some donuts to toss our way. and uh,
1: Beer, beer.
0: <laughs> when we said that last week, Burton got all nervous. <laughs> he, said, he, said, he goes, no, 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 don't bring beer. <laughs> Dave, I've Dave,
2: got to ask a question here. How long are the cords on the microphones this
1: year? <laughs> Is there an intern?
3: Well, actually, guys, that's that's very funny you should mention that, Doc, because I just today had the big brown UPS truck pull up in front of my house and deliver my package with my four brand-new wireless microphones.
0: Oh, we're oh, in trouble. Well, oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking forward to being down there. We're looking forward to the weather and all the airplanes and hanging out with the Sun and Fun Radio people. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, if, if nothing else, please tune into the uh, podcasts uh, later on. We're going to try and uh, post them on the net uh, unusually quickly. My goal is to actually post both of them the day after we uh, we record them. So uh, we'll see how that wow, works. Who and why. Yeah, we'll, yeah. You know, it's easy for me to say, but uh, we'll see what happens. That's the goal what? anyway. Well thanks Dave Shelbetter for uh for being with us and now uh, we'd love you to stick around. I I'm not trying to to ease you out by any means cause, uh but we're going to move on to some other some more general uh, aviation stuff and uh can you stick around?
3: I will hang out for a bit. Yeah, Miss april has got a real nice sirloin tip roast. Uh, uh, got the whole house making me hungry. And uh, uh oh by the way guys, uh, your your hotel called to confirm your reservations.
2: <laughs> okay. I hope uh, thank you thank you, you. thank you. Thank you.
3: I they hope. haven't received their bribe. I mean payment yet. No, just kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> in addition to being, in addition to being our host for the radio programs, Dave Shelbetter is very graciously allowed. Uh, Higdon and I to crash in his uh, in his trailer in the in the uh, volunteer campgrounds, which which is not only very gracious of you, but I'm looking forward to it a lot. I love hanging out in the campgrounds. I mean, it's just the place to be if you're staying, you know, uh, overnight at these events. I, I'm I'm looking forward to the whole deal. It's going to be great.
3: I I personally can't imagine going to the event and not staying on site. Yeah, you know, yeah. if you walk into the core area. After air show time, after the air show's over with 5 o'clock when the exhibitors are closed and stuff. You know, yeah, it's really, really quiet. But if you walk out into the campground, I mean, that was where...
2: There's a whole city out there.
3: As a kid growing up, I mean, I grew up with some. I did my first son and son when I was 16 years old. And so that's how how a young guy like me can have 30 years in, guys. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, but I I learned so much from so many different people in the campground at night. And, you know, the guys that they, they, they fly in commercial to Orlando or Tampa, they rent a car, get a hotel, you know, they get up in the morning, they go for their hotel breakfast and they show up at the grounds and the air show ends and they go back to the hotel at night. You're missing so much by not staying on the grounds. It is such a good time out there.
2: Or at least not trying to beat the traffic to get off the grounds and uh, hanging out for a while. Watch the ultralights fly. Watch the sun go down there. Go to the corn roast. Uh, You know, stroll around some of the... uh, some of the different campsites—it's it's amazing the, uh, the the people that you'll meet, the places that they're from, the reasons that they're there. It's really the best part of going to these flyouts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean I made a whole column out of it. that's the column that I write I have I would love to write such a column for for Sun and Fun but uh, these days I write my Around the Field column up at uh, Oshkosh during AirVenture and that's what it's all about it's about wandering through the campgrounds and talking with people wandering through the airplane campgrounds and the and the uh, regular you know drive-in campgrounds and uh, and the, the stories that you guys are alluding to are the stories that I find and they're and they're they're riveting they're terrific they're what you know aviation is all about for me is is well, I- True confessions at at Oshkosh. I do stay off the field
2: in in a in a nearby motel, but and just barely nearby. nearby yeah. it's like, about a hundred. Walk out the gate and you're at your hotel, isn't it, Dave? It, that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's about a hundred feet from the gate to the hotel lobby, and uh, maybe 150. Uh, and spend a lot of after sunset time back on the field, because for years, even when my old newspaper job sent me to Oshkosh. I camped. Sometimes it was in Schaller. Sometimes it was in the North 40. Sometimes it was vintage or something like that. It varied from year to year. I camped at Sun and Fun for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I just can't conceive of, A, getting up and battling traffic to get in there in the morning. Or, B, getting up early enough to beat the traffic. So uh, it's just, just like a... a a unique little city at events like this. And it's not just Sun and Fun and Oshkosh. It's a lot of other events like the uh, Sport Aviation Association. They're going to have a, a, a fly-in up in Illinois later this year in June. We'll talk about it in another episode. But, uh, you know, one of the big attractions there is camping on the grounds at night mm-hmm. and hanging out with folks that have flown in and antique and sport airplanes and uh, uh, recreational Aircraft that they built themselves, or uh, something that they resurrected from the boneyard and got back flying—it's just uh, there's nothing like it. it. It's and it's that way even outside these air shows. Yeah. Getting involved with your aviation community in your hometown at the airport, uh, making it a little bit more than just something that you go to do on Saturday.
0: Maybe that's what we should do for the uncontrolled airspace fly-ins. We should make them sleepovers uh yeah
3: it's virtual hangar
0: yeah well we've been talking a lot of our a lot of our our listeners who hang out on the uh on our uh, website forums and discussion forums um have decided that we need to hold uh, uh uncontrolled airspace fly-ins around the country so that so that listeners can get together and we can all get together and, I, and we think it's a great idea we're a little we're a little daunted by the logistics of it but uh but however we put it together maybe it should be an overnight you know so that we can kind of all hang out by the campfire and you know, that way we can drink lineys without having to worry about flying home that same day. And
3: uh, I'm all for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Why would we worry about that? Yeah, no, no, no. We would. <laughs> you know,
3: I, I forgot to mention something. Yeah. And I'm horribly, horribly remiss in doing this. More big news about our location this year. What's that? You're saying that I was playing host to you guys at the radio station, and you're staying in a camper, and we have we have roommates in our building. Who's that? We have. Ben Square, and the Sun and Fun Today newspaper office. Ah, so the Show Daily is
0: going to be there, too,
3: huh? The Show Daily is going to be in our building, and, and, and I I feel I got excited about talking to you guys about doing the podcast and stuff, and it slipped my mind to mention that the Sun and Fun Today newspaper offices are going to be in our building as well. So we're going to have all of our on-site media in one place.
0: Yeah. What a, what a nice bunch of people. I... I uh
3: Great people. I couldn't ask for better I couldn't ask for better roommates. I mean I've talked to Ben about it and it's like what can I do? And he says, Have a big empty room for me to come into and I said, You got it.
0: Yeah. During <laughs> well, the during the rest of the year they're the publishers of the uh, what do they call it these days? The G A News? General General Aviation News. G A News. Yeah. They and, call it uh, with a big pink A. Yeah, that's right. And uh it's the it's the uh sort of tabloid sized uh uh newsprint uh aviation journal that has the pink pages in the middle, the pink pages being the classifieds I believe. Comes and, out every other week. Yeah. And uh they also do they still do is it called the Southern Aviator? Does that paper still
3: exist? They still they still have Southern Aviator, yeah. I yep. believe. Don't
1: they? Well Not they have region, regional different. Don't they have just regional aviators like they'll have a Southern Aviator or uh or a, I don't know if they have a northeastern or, or or new england no. or something like that don't the, they
2: these guys just have these two now there are okay. other regional books but uh they're not on their uh okay. on their on their list yeah. Got so
0: it. a great bunch of people the Sclares, and uh, it'll be cool to uh to be so close by to them that will be yeah. for, for those of you that are coming down
2: you know that's a little uh, free it's a little freebie you can pick up on the field every day. That's got stories about what happened the day before and the air show uh, schedule and uh, a bunch of items on things you can see and do. So uh, you definitely want to pick it up when you're there every day that you're there. Yeah,
0: very very cool. We better move on here. Um, so uh, so I mentioned earlier that I was uh, researching stories earlier today and uh, and suddenly remembered that it was April first and that I suddenly and so I have to tell you. <laughs> That, that I actually got taken in by one of these. I actually put it on the list thinking, wow, that's an interesting story. And then the next one that came by, and I'm going, wait a minute, that's a little odd. What's this, minute, <laughs> What's going on here? So uh, Okay, which one was the tip-off? The gang over at... Uh, and there are lots of websites doing this today. The one that tripped me up is the gang over at Aeronet News. Aeronewsnet. Uh, Aero Aeronewsnet. Aero right. And they've done a quite elaborate collection of April Fool's stories, um, the first so i 'm and so the first one that I came across uh, is they uh, have a story here about Cessna reintroducing the classic one ninety five with a garmin one thousand in it and i 'm going whoa, that's kind of cool. You know? And a, fa- a Fadek-controlled <laughs> yeah. Jacobs yeah. radio. It's mean, right. like a right. serious, serious glass cockpit you know, with all the latest high technology. you know. And we were talking about the G1000 recently on the podcast, and I'm going, well, that's a little extreme, but sure, okay, yeah. And uh, and so I didn't really read the article in-, in depth. I figured we'd just talk about it when we got into the podcast. And so I, so then I move on, and the next story I come across uh, is... Uh, which one? Oh, this is... Yeah. It says... Uh, AOPA settles with the FAA on user fees, all right? And uh, I'll just read the first couple paragraphs of this. Air News has learned that intense negotiations between officials of the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association and the, and the FAA have resulted in an end to the long impasse over user fees on general aviation. House uh, Committee Chairman Oberstar, uh, who's involved with the talks, said the negotiation reached a turning point when AOPA proposed splitting the air traffic control system at 18,000 feet with flight levels and airline hub airports by the FAA and the lower altitudes and smaller airports regulated by AOPA, and I'm going, ding, wait a minute. <laughs> Up to this point, I'm going, hmm, this is kind of an outside-the-box solution to the whole problem. Maybe this could, oh, wait a minute, it's April 1st, so I went back and looked again and realized that uh, Aero News Net have like a whole, whole, I mean a big, I'll just read some of the headlines. Oh, lines. it's... It's, just, it's a long-running tradition for yeah, Jim yeah. Campbell and and,
2: and and his publication.
0: Yeah, uh, A380 under fire by the Green Lobby, uh, uh, Boeing throws in the towel on the 787, uh, <laughs> Florida Department of Revenue, I didn't see this one before, Florida Department of Revenue threatens to tax shuttle landings. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: but if you scroll down, if you scroll down too, my favorite has got to be Which Burger one? King puts in the TSA cross-training program. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of them here There must be must be 15 of them here And uh, and the headlines are all really clever The ones I've read are really clever I'm sure they all are And so if you're looking for your fix of April Fool's gags For uh, aviation related Go check out Aero News Net well, the, the Cessna 195 piece Had me at Strato
2: Hoover I'm like Oh yeah The marketing department came up with that Yeah uh, right.
3: Yeah. They felt businessliner was a bit staid.
2: Right. Yeah. Agreed. And a good friend, a good friend of mine here in, in Wichita, Ben Sorensen, is in about his third year of rehabilitating a uh, one ninety five beautiful piece piece of machinery. Since he's gotten all the metal straightened out, it suffered a rollover accident many years ago, mm-hmm. as in tail over nose. Ooh. Uh, right. He he heels overhead. And
1: uh Must have got wrinkled in a
2: lot of places and uh Ben's an engineer and uh he's got his A and P and there's an AI handy and uh so he's got a uh, you know a rebuilt engine hanging on it and the sheet and metals all together, the wings are on. Uh I think he's quit screwing around, retorquing and resetting the wing bolts. Uh, he seemed like he spent about a month with that, but now he's uh, working on wiring and putting the interior back in. So we've seen a lot of a 195 up close the last few years over a
0: dead cow. So it's like straddle over. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell your friend now, look at obviously you need to put a G1000 in it. It just it looks gorgeous in the they they photoshopped I, I, a picture of the G1000. I wish I
2: had his email. I'd send him this story and say, you know, this could increase the value of your airplane. <laughs> the price they quoted in the in the fake story was like eight hundred thousand dollars for this. Eight hundred and seventy five, but that was with XM's WX weather. There you go. That makes it all.
3: And chrome stainless steel trim and window cranks. <laughs> oh
2: yeah. That's one of the nice things about one hundred ninety five they have roll up and down windows.
3: A
0: couple of weeks ago, uh, we were we we uh, oohed and odd about a story of a uh, an, uh, an off field well actually it was an on field landing of the week where um, a piece of the wing skin on the top of one of the wings peeled off in flight, and uh, and, and we were pretty <laughs> impressed that uh, that the uh, pilots were able to get it back to the field. Um, there have been it sure. seems a rash of stories about. Pieces of airplanes falling off in flight. Um, the latest one is a door falling off of a uh, a Challenger jet. Uh, FAA investigators have arrived at Grand Junction, Colorado, Tuesday to try and determine why the cabin door fell off of a Canadair. Uh, Bombardier Challenger 600 on climb-out from the local airport. The door fell into a desert area. No one was hurt on the ground or in the air. It's not clear how many people were on board the aircraft. (laughs) That's because... Oh, never
1: mind. (laughs) It's not clear how many people were on board the aircraft when it took off.
0: Initially, but, you know, and so... Anyways... um, you, and, and there was another story. There was another story about a piece of wingskin peeling off. And uh, does this happen all the time? And we're just seeing the stories now, or, or? No, no? it, doesn't happen, no, it doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> Good, glad to hear
1: it. No, it doesn't happen all the time. It, it's it's um, I don't know what's going on. You know, it's 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 not like uh, you know, all of a sudden people stop doing maintenance. Maybe people stop closing doors. Um, uh, the the other aircraft you're thinking about was a. Um, I think it was a Northwest or U.S. Airways uh, 757. Yeah, uh, lost a piece of composite material uh, from um, uh, the top, the sur- upper surface of the wing, which which actually I think cracked uh, the outside portion of a uh, fuselage window when it um, uh, departed the airplane. Uh, that one um, is is getting NTSB attention. Uh, I don't know that this Challenger will. Um, it it happens, you know. It's, it's you know, bad stuff comes in threes. Uh, um, uh, maybe uh, uh, maybe the uh, the Cessna one was it one forty, one seventy. Maybe that was the first one, and, and maybe we've had all three now. I don't know, but it, it's rare, but it does happen.
2: Yeah, it's uh, we we really like it more when it doesn't. But uh, we, we, we
0: yeah. We, we, I, I'm we, I'm generally in favor of returning to my destination airport with all the parts and all the passengers. Yeah. That's you
1: know, that's, and, that's generally the way I want to want to do it. You know, there have been some times where <laughs> I didn't really care, but um, um, just wanted to get myself on the ground, yeah. preferably with a relatively soft landing. And, but, and
2: that's there, why your there passengers. Have times, yeah. There have been times when I was perfectly willing to accept wrinkled airplane. Oh yeah, uh, as long as there wasn't a uh, 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 wrinkled anatomy to match.
1: That's right, wrinkled airplane. Uh, uh, um, um, the, the seats were already soiled, so that was you know not a problem. Um, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't. Uh, wasn't well, it really spent,
2: a big. Spent about twenty minutes once in, in in weather severe enough that for about five seconds, when things weren't just completely frenetic and almost beyond my control. I had this brief flash. Boy, I'm glad I put in new seat belts. It was a 41 year old airplane. Uh, the The uh, contents of my flight bag, which was strapped down in the right seat by the seat belt in the right seat, the contents, on the other hand, were in a number of locations throughout yeah. the cabin. Uh-huh. And it dawned on me, I'd done two things really brilliantly that day. Steering into that weather was not one of them, but I had help there. One was replacing the seat belts, and the other was tying down my
0: oxygen bottle. That could yeah, be da- that could be dangerous. You could hurt yourself if that thing goes flying.
2: Well, I was going across at an altitude where oxygen was, you know, was kind of in that area where you can, yeah, you can technically say you're meeting the regs, but you know, maybe not the smartest egg in the carton
4: to Start do without. The clock.
2: And uh, uh, I knew there was going to be weather along the way, and I wanted every bloody edge I could get, so O2 seemed smart. And instead of just laying the bottle down on the back floor like I normally did, I went, it's probably going to be a little bumpy. So I got the the straps out and strapped it to the uh, back of the right seat like you're supposed to and plugged in the the line, the regulator, the cannula, and at about 5,000 feet, I started to dial it in, and it... 13,000 feet where there was a tailwind driving me headlong into level 4 weather. Uh, It was like fat, dumb, and happy. Really, did you turn on the oxygen?
1: Was the oxygen turned on?
2: Well, a little ball floating in the float meter said so. All right. The flow meter was going, you know, I had the flow meter dialed in just about 1,000 feet higher than I was actually flying because the temperature that day, I figured the density altitude was going to be a little higher than that. And then got to come down to 11,000 feet uh, because we cleared some weather. And then a nice controller said, you know, there's a bad storm out in front of you. I go, yeah, I'm looking at it. He goes, you know, if you steer 30 degrees to the south, you should go around the soft end of that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, in, right, in, right, right over right over Attenuation, Missouri.
2: A, a pretty much uh, Evansville, Indiana. Okay. Evansville, Indiana. And uh, uh, when we got the airplane back to the Leprechaun to ask him to check it out, I'm not going to tell you why. I just want you to put the gauges on all the control surfaces, put a straight line on it, check the anhedral, the dihedral. I want to, you know, make sure everything's as it's supposed to be. And the next day he called and asked me about the story behind the paint missing off the rivet heads on uh-huh. one row on each wing.
0: Yikes. Uh, were you actually in, a, in the clouds during this turbulence, or, or were you...
2: Yeah, yeah, in the clouds, and rain, uh, getting spells where the uh, vertical speed indicator was pegged out, so
0: I don't know how fast I was going up. Ooh, fun. I know that's why I like to fly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean,
2: uh, I still owe a box of cigars to a guy that was coming from Jeffersonville, Indiana, to Evansville. He was in a Mooney that was one of like 135 ever produced with radar.
0: Uh huh.
2: Now it's got this little bitty, tiny, I think six-inch dish behind a graphite uh, uh, leading-edge panel in one wing and when Evansville couldn't see anything because of how badly the storm was attenuating its radar this guy could actually paint the backside of the weather and see the soft spot which he relayed to the friendly controller that helped me get there who relayed it to me and you know biting my lip crossing my legs holding my breath turning into the direction he said and sure enough about uh... two or three minutes later uh, it stopped. I, I, I could see past the windshield for the first time in fifteen minutes. Well, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, that's a good thing. See, be, being a VFR only pilot, I get to avoid most, almost all that stuff. I, I don't. I've never flown into anything like severe, you know, really bad turbulence. I, I've it been.
2: was my real. It, it was my first really long bad encounter, and gave me a, a, a real sense of what it must be like. To be a cork in a washing machine. Yeah, I bet.
0: I bet. Well, anyways, moving on. Let's see here. Moving on. What the heck was going on in Aspen? This is what I wanted. To do you guys know more about this story? So, so apparently, and I'm going to summarize here probably badly, um passengers, airline passengers waiting for a flight in Aspen, Colorado, oh, recently, March 15th apparently, um were and and their flight was delayed. They were suddenly greeted with a public address announcement um blaming delays on an influx of private aircraft. Uh, they basically they basically went on the PA and said the the small airplanes are making you late. You know, do you know what do you what do you know about this? Well, uh, I know that you know that's not the whole bloody story. Well, I know it's, that's uh, first of all, what is that? What actually they actually heard is what what actually well, happened in the terminal that day. Is this I don't something? know that's what
1: if, they heard. Yeah, two 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 or three things going on here. That was what they were told in the terminal, um, and I suspect that that was an airline employee who made that announcement. Um, at whose direction, or if he or she, you know, dreamed it up on their own, uh, we don't know. We're not going to find out. A
0: relatively low level, like one of the gate, one of the one of the uh, counter people, probably.
1: Well, it ain't the CEO who makes the the uh, right. uh, terminal announcements. Right. Let's put it that way. Well, and, um, you know,
2: some some of the extenuatings here was that they well, had some significant weather the day before that resulted in a lot of stuff not getting out the day before, and that stuff was stacked up that day. Mm -hmm. There was weather elsewhere in the country because, you know what, the weather the day before, it moved downwind. And when that kind of weather delays things in Chicago, something bad in Chicago or Atlanta or Dallas can mean a flight in in Colorado doesn't leave even though it looks perfect in Aspen. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's always a lot more to this. But as a general rule... Uh, you know, the airliners get in line as the controllers can clear them to taxi just like everybody else. Yeah. Right. They, well, they don't own departure
1: times. Keep, keep in mind two things. One, uh, the story goes on to note um, that the previous day's weather had, you know, a lot of aircraft were on the ground, et cetera, et cetera. There was an aircraft that slid off the runway um, closing the airport for an hour. That was a private aircraft. Um, but the airport manager at least told AvWeb or told the Aspen Times um, that increased airline service at Aspen has actually reduced GA traffic by 18%. Yeah. Um, perhaps private pilots are finding it you know, more cost effect, effective to, uh, air, to airline in and out. But here's another little tidbit. Um, and I don't know if it's in place or was in place at Aspen. Um, i suspect uh um uh, it might have been i don't i don't know but each year during the season the f a a puts in yes puts a, a, an s t m p in place a special traffic management program basically that's a reservation system to go to or from that airport under i f r and uh i don't know if it was in place or not but it's a the 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 s t m p uh only Affects non-scheduled aircraft. In other That's words, right. the airlines do not have to get a reservation. Um, and the reservations that are given out, doled out, if you will, by the FAA, are uh, first come, first served. But only after the scheduled carriers have have enough slots to conduct their operations. So uh, already GA is is a second class citizen when an STMP is put into place. Aspen is an STMP airport, or has been uh, for a number of years. And uh, uh, what we don't know, right off the top of our heads right now, is whether an STMP was in place at Aspen on this date. So th- there's more to the story, as there always as there always is. Yeah.
0: When I first read the first paragraph of the story, my first impression was, ooh, you know, Aspen being a very, very upscale area and uh there are events that take place out there, things like you know ski tournaments and what right. whatnot. My first thought was, "Oh man, there's some upscale event going on up there, and everybody flew in with their biz jet you know and uh but that appears not to be the case. this was per- perhaps biz more
1: jet, t- just this, this, this was, was bad weather, weather. Is a pretty, yeah
0: is, is is a pretty uh common
2: occurrence at 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 that airport right. to begin with i mean yeah. uh That's not your average low-cost housing neighborhood anymore, Uh, and a a lot of folks who live within a couple hours driving distance of that airport do not come in common carriage. Mm -hmm. And you know, we support that idea. Although apparently
0: now they've got more more scheduled flights, they are coming in by uh, by the airlines instead, according to that eighteen percent number. Anyways, Uh, well, I don't know. So. You know, I, and then of course the other thing that went through my mind, and this is and now my conspiracy, you know, thing is really, really going full blast, which is that this is this oh this is all part of the conspiracy to make people think that uh, we need user fees because those GA guys are all costing us money and making us late, and uh, it probably was not that that organized a thing. You think?
2: No, but it is a mindset that uh, seems to be. Uh... And I don't want to talk out of school here. I don't want to stereotype anybody by any means, but there is a mindset within one segment of the federal government and within one transportation industry in particular that we're all we're the source of all sorts of problems uh mm-hmm. that have been proven you know untrue but that just because the facts say otherwise doesn't. Prevent them from shooting off their mouth there 's still the First Amendment, and opinions are like
0: defecation ports everybody 's got one.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was thinking that these uh, these gate persons these airline personnel, the gate people, and the uh, counter people. Are the ones that got to see over and over and over and over again that uh, those cartoon commercials that that came that were running about well, six months ago? Remember mm-hmm. that uh, their,
2: their employers are members of the Air Transport
0: Association. I mean, uh, so they've probably it, been yeah. indoctrinated about nine ways to Sunday, right? Indoctrinated. I think they put it in their coffee. Yeah, really. Well, <laughs> really, we, uh, we need to reach out to the water. Yeah, yeah, we need to reach out to these people and see if we can set them straight.
1: Yeah. yeah good luck with that.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, airline um, pilots know better.
0: Yeah, You won't hear well, airline pilots make so, Some complaints. of them
2: do.
1: Some of them do. Some of well, them that's are true. Just there's no, happy there's, enough to, to spew the company line and, you know, please don't take away my retirement. But I even uh,
2: heard from a, a guy that's a GA pilot that felt like he was having to compromise some of his political opinions because mm-hmm. uh, in order to not go against his general aviation interest, he was having to take a different attitude about some things. And it's yeah. like, well, okay. Open mindedness is a good thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. As long as we all do it together.
0: There you go. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So, last. Last week we. I'm just going to move right on through that. I'm just going to keep rolling here, blowing right past that. <laughs> right past that. Last week we had a lot of fun with the fact that this guy fired off his gun in the
4: uh in, in the
0: uh, uh on the flight deck of this airliner, and uh the. So now there's a little bit more news on this. Uh, well, there's 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 more people talking Co- about it. Those coverage. And- I
1: mean, there might not be more news. Yeah, but- really.
0: So the latest is the uh, and I'm reading here from a from an item in on in Avweb. Uh, it said the Airline Pilot Security Alliance, which what the heck is that? But the Airline Pilot Security Alliance, Thursday <laughs> released
1: And who's and who's opposed to it?
0: Yeah, that's right. Released a statement <laughs> saying that the that TSA weapons handling rules are to blame for the accidental discharge of the pilot's firearm while in the cockpit flying a U.S. Airways you know, jet that
1: last week. I'm, I'm just shocked, shocked to find that, that something the TSA has done has met with with less than full approval.
0: He claims, or they claim, that part of the TSA's procedures are for the pilot to move the gun from one place to another at some point during the flight and and they're they're kind of trying to set the stage for that's when this happened. We we well, talked they, last they, week they, we said last they, week that the prop, that this shouldn't have happened because the pilot never should have taken it out of its holder, but according to these folks, the TSA requires them to move it around under, under That's
1: insane.
0: And 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 their argument was followed up with if I might note
2: bullet points.
1: Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, Oh man <laughs> We're gonna have to start paying people to listen to this. I know,
2: really. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just couldn't help it. Uh yeah. I don't want anybody to think it was a hollow point
0: to make, but uh <laughs> oh. Shelbetter is a particularly bad influence on you
2: He <laughs>
1: really he really is, yeah.
2: I think you got this one backward. Yeah, At any rate, the, 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 the rules for these flight deck safety officers, uh, these trained by the TSA to the TSA standard airline keep Keeping pilots, in
1: mind, these, these, these men and women are already very highly trained uh, uh, airline captains and first officers, but, but right. go ahead.
2: Well, they're required to move from flight to flight through the terminal and all that stuff with the weapon locked up in a case. Now I did not realize that they were required to remove it from the case on the cockpit. I thought the drill was you take it out of the case if 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 it's needed, because there is a, a, an armored, locked door behind you, and you know I I, I can't imagine I just, it's not quite quick draw, but it also isn't destry flies again. Uh, you could get the gun out and I got it. Load around now. faster. <laughs> faster than uh, uh, than Don Notch could put his bullet in his revolver. Right. Uh,
1: but in, in one of the uh, first... My
3: favorite part of this whole story is the quote in the AvWeb saying the, the group quotes an unidentified uh, Federal Flight Deck officer who said the pilot involved was preparing for landing and was trying to r- remove his gun and secure it when, quote, the padlock depressed the trigger, unquote. Right. now. I know a little bit about firearms, guys, and those padlocks that they put on the trigger of a weapon right. are specifically designed not to fire it, so right. that you can't fire the weapon when the padlock is in place. But, but furthermore, what if he was putting the padlock... it
1: only fire if there was a round in the chamber. and, and, and we, won't even, we won't
3: even touch the, right. the chamber, right. chambering around. Right. That, that's... And the right. safety was right.
2: the safety was obviously off. I just took it to mean that there was a padlock on the case that the guy somehow no, no, got it's, it tangled. It's a trigger
1: about. lock. It's a trigger lock, right. not on the not on the case. And 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 what he's saying is that the the uh, the weapon firearm discharged when he was installing the trigger lock. Um, uh. but, he, but here's here's the other thing, is all of this this firearm handling. Um, is is any any uh, gun nut or firearm expert or any and anybody in between will tell you, anytime you handle the gun, anytime you handle the firearm, you increase the risk of something happening. And according to this this information, the TSA's rules maximize basically the opportunity for something bad to happen uh, well, because some of the man they handling it so first- often.
2: There was a lot of that criticism leveled when they first announced this program yeah. uh, years back, yeah. that the way that they were structuring it was tailor-made to uh, cause an accident, mm-hmm. that it was requiring a lot of unnecessary, unnecessary handling of the weapon. Right. Uh, now, my father raised me around firearms, and I started shooting when I was about seven. So that's a little over half a century back. And one of the one of the real-world rules was you don't chamber around unless you intend to shoot. That's right. And you, and you don't point the weapon at anything that you don't intend to shoot. That's right. Uh, but first and foremost, every weapon's treated like a loaded weapon. Right. Period. Mm-hmm. And – uh I don't know, I just don't know what to make of this. Uh, I, I look at the way this program's supposed to work and wonder if there wasn't some hope on somebody's part that something worse would happen so they could come back and say, see, we told you, you right. don't want pilots carrying these things, because the TSA wasn't wild about this idea to begin with.
1: Mm-hmm. This was something that Congress basically thrust upon them in its own wisdom. Uh-huh. Um, and um, uh, yeah, they they initially tried to um, Christmas tree it, as I would call it, yep. uh, make it as difficult as possible for anyone to to uh, comply with the rules they set forth. Now, this this is not one of those. I, I for me, this is just a stupid rule. Well, this uh, is from an
2: outfit that which guns on its own.
1: Well, and this is this is from an outfit that is known for stupid rules, but uh, um, uh, I I I don't know. I, I don't think we've heard the last of this, no, unless no. someone so let's, really re- a, so let's revisit it again later, on. Yeah. Yeah. But I re- uh, uh, keep coming back. E- eventually, to eventually, this this captain will come forward, and uh, uh, he'll be and shoot his mouth off. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. okay. I was going to Jack, Jack, you and I have to have a conversation after this episode.
0: Uh, yeah. <coughs> Although, dude, that's, I don't think there's any hope, so I don't know what there's a thought. Okay.
1: Oh, well. No. Yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> so, these guys gentlemen,
3: are. Yeah, Dave? Gentlemen of the UCAP crew, I, I, as much as I want to sit and listen on to the rest of this episode, I'm going to have to catch it when it hits the web. I've got uh, yeah. obligations i got to go and take care of here. Yeah, yeah. You
2: you're going to go eat time. meat.
3: I, she just. I'm sitting on the back patio, uh, my favorite, <laughs> my favorite portable office with my new laptop. Is the back patio, and she come walking out the door. She looked at me through the door, and I said, "Yeah, the phone's muted. Come on out." And she handed me a piece of this sirloin tip roast, and it's like time right, for dinner. Well, <laughs> wow.
0: well, what are you, you doing know. here, man? Get out of here. Go eat your steak. Thanks for joining us, uh, Dave. Thanks very much, Dave. Thanks,
3: David. You know, we'll thank see you Sunday. You got it. I'll make it up to you with a waffle at the radio station for breakfast.
2: I'll take you up on that.
3: Cool. Take All right, care. guys. Bye-bye. We'll slide down. Yep. yep, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Where were we here? Let's see now. So this uh, the, the, this aircraft, uh, Pilatus, uh, Dave's airplane, right? This is the Pilatus 12 that you... We, we, that PC-12, yeah. Uh, oh, PC-12.
2: I love it to death.
0: Is, is cruising along uh, at 16.5 uh, and... Uh, and all of a on sudden on flight following on flight following so he's everything hunky dory he's where he's supposed to be he's talking to control all right and suddenly his TCAS goes off and uh, he does an evasive maneuver turns out that he was intercepted by a pair of uh, i think pair but but uh, a couple of F16 fighters who then proceeded to to join up with him and you know basically i man scare you, you know i mean create a dangerous situation if you ask me and I
2: want to know if anybody
0: has been able to account for Maverick's presence this past year. Yeah, week. right. Exactly. From Top Gun. Um, what uh, What do you guys know about this? This is uh, now the pilots are demanding an investigation, and uh, and as of the t- yeah, the PC12 st- guy wasn't the only one. And this, but as of the time that the story was written, the the uh, military is kind of uh, stonewalling it a little bit and not responding to questions. And uh, well, what do we know? What's going on?
1: Well, we know from the uh, from the Avweb story that uh, the, PC, the TCAS-equipped PC12 was flying straight and level, got got some RA's resolution uh, uh, advisories, and uh, <clears throat> um, followed the RA's as as he's supposed to do once TCAS is installed. And of course, the aircraft generating the RA's kept following him and basically got closer and closer. Um, the, then the guy looked off his left wing, and there's an F-16, quote unquote, um, no more than 20 feet, unquote, off my left wing. Um, and then there was another episode, apparently involving a jet. Uh, um, a premiere. Beach. Uh, Premier. Okay, thank you, Be- Beach Premiere, I, I, and presumably this was in the same airspace on the same day, also involving F-16s, um, getting up close and personal. Um, but here's here's something that hasn't been widely discussed about these episodes. Yeah. <clears throat> both of these aircraft these the the p c twelve and the premier were both operating in an active military operations area. Um, hello, come in what? uh what what do you expect um, you're going to have uh air, military aircraft fast movers in that airspace. Uh, if it's hot, they can go in there VFR. You you generally cannot go in there IFR, uh, and there's a reason you can't go in there IFR. Um, so are, are generally, the ATC will either vector you around an MOA when it's hot, or um, they'll try to separate the military traffic from from the the, uh, the civilian traffic. Keep in mind also that a hey, F-16s don't have TCAS. B. When they're maneuvering in a in a Moa, they generally turn off the transponder because they don't want to drive the uh, air traffic control uh, people nuts, and, and it's none of their business what's goes on what's going on but in a they, Moa they, anyway.
2: They do have aircraft tracking radar.
1: Who does? F sixteens. Oh sure. Yeah, they were I'm sure they were gaming on, on, on these uh uh these this this P C twelve and, and it this would, Premier. Would, and I'll would, I'll tell you something else. Um a lot of V F R aircraft go through MOAs. And uh when those MOAs are true. hot, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to learn um that they've been tracked before. And I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to learn I, I that they've had formation flown on them before. Unknowingly. I know guys
2: I know guys that have mm-hmm. had their uh <laughs> had their flight uh, turn really entertaining when they blindly threw, flew VFR through an active MOA, not talking to anybody. Right. You know, steaming along, fat numb, and happy. It happened to a friend of mine not long after, and it became the basis for a discussion about handheld GPS systems. They were just <laughs> starting to become Vogue right, right. about that time. Um uh, You know, they didn't yet have special use airspace in their databases, uh, uh, but they were really excellent for going from point A to point B direct. And when Mm -hmm. you're VFR, you don't need anything else, right? Sure. uh, Well,
1: yeah, you do, but go ahead.
2: Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. But a friend of Mm -hmm. mine was uh, traveling cross country, and, uh, you know, he had his usual radios dialed into the usual VORs, and he had the charts and the chart case he admitted later on the right seat and he's flying cross country and he plugged in you know point of departure point of arrival and was just following along the little gray scale line on the screen when he was interrupted by a pair of F15s that dove right past him in front now that surprised him a little bit like They didn't know he was there, and he was really Mm -hmm. thankful he didn't get hit. And then he saw them pull up really radically, and a few seconds later saw a big, bloody explosion on the ground, and then another. Mm -hmm. And realized, oh my God, what have I done? Where have I flown into? But I've never heard of this happening when a guy was on flight following and, I, and well, I've been on flight following times myself when they said, uh, you know, just so you know, that MOA up ahead is hot.
1: Right. Key, key, two things on flight following. Um, there's, there's no responsibility on ATC's part for separation. They will, uh, workload permitting, provide traffic advisories, but they are right. not required under any circumstances to separate... No. Traffic.
2: It's not, first, it's first not like an instrument flight plan.
1: Right. Second point is that in a MOA that is active, they have no uh, authority or even interest over military aircraft. And the military aircraft can basically tell them to go away and leave them alone. No, the no, military no aircraft with in that MOA can do anything they want to do. Uh, within, you know, parameters of their, their operating limitations and and uh uh I'm sorry, you know, their own their own little rules. Of course they can't break bust a sound barrier. That's about it. Um
0: but isn't, isn't ATC yeah. obligated to point out to you that you're about to They fly
1: probably and? weren't aware that the 16s were maneuvering as they were mooning. No, I know. No, they no, had no, their no. transponders off.
0: Not point out the six. Well, let's come back to no, that in a second. But they, they should have known that if the NOAA was hot. It, by the way, if the TCAS went off, doesn't that mean their transponders were turned on? Isn't that how TCAS works? Uh huh. Yeah. So, oh, that's true. That's right? true. But, anyways. Um, um, you're right. Doesn't flight following. To well, that's to a, tell you that yeah. you're about to go into a hot moa, always has for me.
1: But. Always has for me. Now we don't know, you know, what these guys were told. And, and, and uh, look, look, hang on a second. Let me let me make another point. Uh, I'm not condoning the F-16 activity. Getting up getting up twenty feet from uh, a civilian aircraft, a b, an aircraft with whom you have no communication, is. Haphazard, shall we say, at best.
2: Mm-hmm. It's man
1: in doing it. Uh, in this case, what appears to have been uh, more than two occasions, because there's there are reports here from these from one of these two pilots that um, they heard other aircraft on the frequency reporting TCAS alerts and RAs. Um, so it's it's likely that either this F sixteen or this this pair of F-16s or other F-16s in their flight in this airspace were just out jumping civilian aircraft on this day um, what, yeah you're right it's, it's unknown you know it's, it's curious I won't say it's unknown it's curious why um, uh, if apparently and in, in, in what you say is, is accurate um, the, the F-16s apparently did have their transponders on or there wouldn't have been a TCAS alert uh, why FAA did not advise them of this Maybe it was a workload thing. I don't know. Right. Uh,
0: and, and I'm really going to reveal my ignorance here. but it, it, So it obviously it's okay to fly into an active MOA? Yeah. Just, so you're I, not in violation of any regs. I thought it was, I mean, it's not smart, uh, an,
1: an but active, I thought. An active restricted area is not kosher. Right. And it's very dumb. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and I, flying I'd into see, a
2: hot MOA, depending yeah. on
0: what's going on there? Yeah can be not the smartest thing that you do that day. Sure. Out in California, one of the routes we'd fly on a regular basis, north and south from the San Francisco Bay area down to the L.A. area, was over uh, U.S. Route 101, and there was one particular place where Route 101, the, where the terrain sort of rose up, and there was a, so you, you could really were staying over the highway, and there was also a military base down there we always knew about, and there was a moa associated with the military base, and it was never ever hot any time I ever flew through that area, and one time I was asking someone who I, I had occasion to be talking to someone who was based who who was stationed or you know, was in the military, out of that base. Sometimes I said, "I said, what do you guys do in that space that you need this Moa?" And he said, "He said, oh, it's a tank base. We fire tank projectile shells across 101, from one side of the highway <laughs> to another." <laughs> and so I said, "I said, so, so if that Moa is hot, I really don't want to be flying through there." He says, no, you don't want to be flying through there."
1: Well, yeah. you know, again, let's 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 artillery shells. Yeah, I know. Let's, let's back up, though. I'm not going to set
0: off my TCAS.
1: Let's distinguish between MOAs and restricted areas. Yeah, okay. That, that MOAs, is. MOAs are operational areas in which aircraft, military aircraft are flying at high speed and at low altitude and maneuvering abruptly. Um, they're not shooting stuff. That's what happens in restricted areas
2: yeah restricted areas or are live fire areas right. and they're not restricted always areas, they're, or, they're not always aviation related right uh, jefferson proving ground uh, northeast of where i grew up in southern indiana they tested naval artillery there right you know how far a 16 inch gun could shoot
1: a long way a
2: long way yeah that yeah. was a big piece of real estate I was and, uh, got to fly over it once after they stopped using it, and and went wow, so that's what the moon would look like up close.
1: Uh huh, uh huh. Yep. Years ago, I was uh, flying uh, back into Manassas from I think Oklahoma or something one night, uh, and uh, was over Kentucky, and just happened to be just south of the Fort Knox area, uh-huh. and there's restricted area uh-huh. there. And uh, I'm droning along, minding my own business, and I happen to, you know, as I'm looking around outside the airplane, happen to see this streak on the ground. What in the world is that? And I keep looking at it, and I look at the chart, and I look at the streak, and I look at the chart again, There's the, there's the restricted area, and it's talking about Fort Knox and all this, and I'm just thinking, what are they, you know, they're they throwing gold at each other? What's going on? Um Apparently, I don't know if it was tanks or or some other artillery or something like that, but it was it was a live fire exercise, yeah. and uh, you could see you could see the shells being fired. You could see the uh, the tracer activity from the shells. Um, they were going a couple of three miles downrange that I could that I could swear to based on my altitude uh, where they were going, what they were hitting. I don't know. I don't want to know. Uh, Another occasion, there's a restricted area just south of the Manassas Airport. The um, top of it is, I think, uh, 2,999 feet. And it's kind of, uh, I kind of look at it as probably a little little play area for the Pentagon on occasion. They get out there and and do a bunch of stuff. Well, I have seen at night from the air, although, again, outside of that restricted area, uh, uh, big explosions. That I would not want to get my airplane there. Mm. Uh, you know, there's so. another
2: there's there's another aeronautical activity that's non-military, around which you would not want to get yourself inadvertently. What's that? That's recreational rocket ranges.
1: That's mm. true. That's right. Some they go of pretty high. Puppies, some yeah, they, of those yeah.
2: puppies go really high mm-hmm. and fast.
0: Do they? Are they obligated to? Do, do they do a notam or anything? Oh yeah. They do. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've sure never is. seen such a odem. Oh, okay, that's okay. interesting. Uh, I yeah. diverted around
2: I diverted around one going to uh, uh the uh Phoenix area a few years ago. Uh it was a uh, big rocket gathering uh just south of the Kansas Oklahoma border out in western Kansas. And uh it was cold when I left, when I filed IFR and uh about sixty miles before I was going to cross it, it went hot, mm-hmm. and the uh, the controller I was talking to said, "You know, as far out as you are, I'd just turn five degrees either way. You'll miss it yep. just fine, and you'll have a good view of anything that goes up."
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, I stand corrected. So I pulled up on my screen here the uh, the chart from the sectional from the area where this. Military base I was talking about a few minutes ago, right. and uh, and and although there is a big moa surrounding, it's Camp Roberts uh, near Paso Robles, uh, California. Paso and, Robles. Yeah, and uh, and there is a big moa, um, but in the middle, in the midst of the moa, there is in fact a restricted area, and so not that, that a huh. song back in the '60s? That in must, the midst of a moa. <laughs> that's where they, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dave, I, Jack, you and I have to have a serious conversation
0: No, 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 no. we need to catch up with him on the line He's, is what we need to do oh, well, I, I, I was just going to say, man we, we we need to do something about our clock here Because I am flat empty One yeah. more story on my list I just want to quickly point out that I, I'm going to move to Kansas I like Kansas as a friendly aviation area So uh, here's a story from uh, a recent issue of Dave's old paper The uh, the, uh, the Wichita Eagle uh it's uh, The headline is, Aviators to Fly 80-Year-Old Path. And I'll read just three paragraphs from this story. Eighty years ago, Kansas Governor Ben Pollan or pollen and pollen, um, and a bunch of Kansas aviators set out to prove that kansans were quote air minded and that Wichita deserved to be titled the air capital of the world. They formed an air caravan of twenty five aircraft and took off from Wichita to tour the state with stops in several towns where they were greeted by thousands of aviation <laughs> enthusiasts. that was eighty years ago Tuesday, Governor uh kansas governor kathleen oh you better pronounce this for me dave how do you say yes sebelius uh and a bunch of kansas aviators will set out to recreate that tour to prove that kansans are still air-minded and to celebrate the reality that was created from that 1920s dream this sounds pretty cool dave do you know anything about this Oh, I know there's a lot of guys fired up around here about doing
2: it. I wish I had the time and the wings to go play with them too because uh, uh, they really, the, the, the kickoff ceremonies were today. They really start the tour
0: tomorrow. And so they're like the going time. barnstorming here, right? they got some steermen and some steermans and some other aircraft. Yeah,
2: there. there's, there's, there's 38,
0: 38 pilots registered
2: to fly airplanes uh, to 26 stops in a
0: seven day period. And does anything in particular happen at the stops or do they just kind of taxi back or uh Oh
2: no, each stop they've got a little something going on. Uh the locals are uh having lunches and dinners and receptions and uh and most of the legs are pretty short here. Uh-huh. Uh so it, you know, it's 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 just kind of a way to commemorate both the history and the current reality of aviation in the state of Kansas and uh you know, like uh, companies like Cessna for example. Uh, Cessna is the second largest private employer in the state of Kansas 14,000 people here. Uh, they uh they they have quite an impact and, and that's not counting Hawker Beach which got another 10,000 or so of its own Spirit AeroSystems which builds airliner parts and will be building part of Cessna's new Columbus large cabin airliner uh they Spirit also does work for Hawker Beach.
0: Yeah, uh, we've got Bombardier Learjet here. Uh, so, are they getting behind this air tour thing? Are they putting money in it, or are they just uh,
2: not that I know of? No, yeah. this is just kind of something that uh, some uh, some aficionados, fans, antique airplane folks, uh, and 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 organizers put together, uh, and 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 it should be a pretty good time. I'm going to try to get out to uh, Jabara Airport. James Jabara Airport, named for our first jet ace. Uh, Alpha Alpha Oscar is the designator. They're, they're going to be launching out of there tomorrow. They got everything from a 1938 Stinson to a, a, a World War II a PT 17, a Stearman for most of you, uh, up to a You know a Cessna 172 with a G1000 panel in it. They're going to be doing this tour, and then there are going to be museums along the way. uh, The uh, uh, Combat Air Museum up in uh, Topeka, and the uh, museum out in Liberal, Kansas, are all parts of the stops along the way. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, It's going to be a lot more fun to do than read about.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very cool. More, more states should do this. More <clears throat> regions should do this anyways that's that's cool i, I 'd be great to hear more stories if you go and check it out you 're going to have to report back and tell us what you saw because yeah, definitely. Uh, that sounds neat shout outs let's see now I got one here um, and that is that uh uh, I was talking to Rick Reynolds today at EAA, and he reminded me that uh, uh, he actually said we should talk about it on the on the first podcast we do from uh, Sun and Fun, but uh, that won't go on the net soon enough. So uh, he re- wanted to point out that Wednesday is EAA Day at Sun and Fun. and oh, okay. uh, uh, Each day has a little theme, and EAA is going to be due there. EAA is going to be there with a big presence, and I'm sure they're going to have booths and maybe even a tent. Um, so you're definitely going to be able to check in with EAA while you're down in Lakeland, but uh, um, they have different activities specific activities each day, and Wednesday is a very special day. Listen from their little blurb here. EAA Day is Wednesday, April 9, along with special offers at EAA Member Village. Be on the lookout for the EAA Prize Patrol, and remember to wear your EAA Member button, and you could win. So, uh, So, Wednesday is... Well, up here, Wednesday is Prince Spaghetti Day, but that's another story altogether. Wednesday is... Oh, man, you're old. Is EA, you are. Wow. Is EA, you guys know about that? That's, I thought oh, that yeah. was just a yeah. New England thing. I didn't <clears throat> realize no, that. No, I've heard of it. Yeah? Okay. Wednesday is EAA Day at Sun and Fun next week. So uh, by then, we'll have uh, done our first podcast and uh, be on on our way, having a good time all week long. You got any shout-outs?
1: No, I don't. I don't.
0: David? Just uh, to all the folks
2: that we're going to see in uh, Lakeland y'all come down yep come on by say
0: hello yeah and uh and uh, we'd love to meet up with you. I want to thank Dave Shalbetter for uh, joining us in the virtual hangar and telling us uh, a little bit about Sun and Fun. And we certainly thank him for being such a great host down there. He gives us a hard time, but that's it's uh, that's the way only, Dave only only gives us what we deserve. That's right too. That's right. And, that's uh, right. Uh, uh, he is truly a great guy, and he does a great job with all his volunteers down there with Sun and Fun Radio. So uh, learn more about Dave uh, Dave's work down there at Sun and dot org. Sun n funorg dot org. You learn more about Dave Higdon. Uh, let's see now. I, I, so I made my little note Just here. Google me. Just Google you. You can also uh, check out some of his writing at kitplanes.com. And also, uh, let's see now. It appears that World Aircraft Sales is at avbuyer.com slash Sales. That's correct. And uh, and you can Google his name, Dave, uh, on, and just ignore the stories about the tennis guy. Learn more about Jeb Burnside at jebburnside.com, also aviation safety Magazine.com and avweb.com, myself at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net, and visit us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website at uncontrolledairspace.com. So thanks, everyone, for joining us in the virtual hangar this evening, uh, and we'll talk to you all again next time. So
2: long, everybody. Fly safe.
1: TTFN.